Hello, listener. This is Cook. I'm joined by my friend Brock, and you are listening to Southern Fried Football, Episode 1. Today we have a great episode. We're going to be talking about what is going on with conference realignment across the country and how that's going to affect you and your school. We're also going to take a look at the reports of what's coming out of the Pac-12 behind closed doors as the commissioner uh, broke down to the teams what the media rights deal may look like for the next couple of years. Following that, we're going to take a look at the 2023 football season and what we can expect. And we're going to end today's episode with a couple rapid-fire questions in our two-minute drill segment. You are listening to Southern Fraud Football. What's up, Cook? How you doing, buddy? Doing good, Brock. How about yourself? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited to, to get into this. Uh, we've been talking about this podcast for a while now, and this is finally on the agenda. Um, yes, sir. Talk us through the conference alignment, your excitement. I know you mentioned it in the group text today, so I'll just let you go in and go on your spill. Yeah, so just give a heads up, an insight into what Brock's saying there. Uh, in our group message today, uh, I, I was talking about you know how crazy conference alignment is. I, I'm, I think I mentioned how I haven't been so excited about sports, hadn't had this kind of feeling inside of me uh, probably since Tennessee's last football head coaching search, if I'm being honest, you know, with the plane track and uh, the message boards, rumors, all of that. Uh, conference realignment, uh, it's something that it impacts everybody. Uh, it impacts the big fish. It impacts the little fish. Uh, it impacts the conference, and it just changes the scape of uh, football itself. So, obviously, last week we saw the Colorado Buffaloes uh, head out to the Big 12 in their return. Uh, I can't remember exactly what year they left in the early 2000s, but um, nice to see them go back there. I'm always a fan of you know traditional teams, traditional rivalries. Uh, funny thing, I don't know if you uh, caught this, but with the exit of Oklahoma and Texas, Colorado will now be tied for second uh, among active members of the Big 12 uh, for conference championships in football. So, uh, do you know what that number is, Brock? Uh, not sure, but I would say pretty low. Uh, it would be one. One <sighs> conference championship would be the answer. Uh, I believe they're either behind or tied with Kansas State. Colorado to the Big 12. Uh, I gave my thoughts on that. Um, the traditional rivalries and all is a nice thing, but uh, seeing Dion in the Big 12, seeing what they can do recruiting-wise, uh, and how that may change the landscape of uh, that area. Uh, it might be more beneficial for kids who uh, might be from the Midwest going there as opposed to recruiting kids from the West Coast uh, and competing with them. All right. Um, bringing up Colorado, we've been talking about Colorado and obviously Deion Sanders. Um, what do you think the Big 12 does next after the Colorado move? Uh, so... We'll get into this in a, in just a bit with the Pac-12 and all, but uh, I think it's pretty clear that the Big 12 wants to keep expanding. Uh, and recently the rumors are pointing towards what they're calling the corner schools, and that would be Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah. Uh, of course, when you think of adding those schools, you're probably thinking more, probably thinking more basketball than football. Uh, however, you know, we both know Utah has been very uh, low-key, quiet, good team out in the Pac-12. Uh, so those would be the teams I, I foresee the Big 12 going after next. And uh, I think those are three really good football teams that you could add to your conference. I do understand that, uh, you know, recent years, Arizona, Arizona State, uh, haven't had the best records, but they have two really good up-and-coming coaches right now uh, in Fish and Dillingham. Uh, I really like Dillingham, especially as he is uh, kind of coming out as you know a QB whisperer. I don't know uh, if you're aware, but he's coming from uh, Oregon as the offense coordinator this past season up there where you know, he kind of revitalized Bo Nix's career. Um, I think at one point people were looking to him to be a potential Heisman candidate. Uh, so I'd really, really like dealing him what he's doing out there. Um, 
I'm gonna stop you there. And you mentioned Oregon, so that's mm-hmm. that's another big question. Do they follow the trend? Um, where do they go? Do they, like I said, do they jump in the Big Twelve too, or do they go independent? What What are your thoughts on that? Do you have a prediction or any rumors you've heard? I haven't heard. So, with the Big Twelve going <clears throat> after Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, uh, those aren't the next big teams I think of after we see USC and UCLA leaving. Uh, I think what everybody's eyes went to was Oregon and Washington, uh, probably the next two biggest brands, if not two bigger brands than UCLA in that conference. Um, I like what you said one thing there about Oregon uh, and talking about them potentially going independent. Uh, I was listening to uh, Andy Staples the other day, uh, and that was one thing they talked about was uh, Oregon Ducks potentially going independent in football and joining conference for their other sports with basketball um, yeah, and the other non-revenue sports. Uh, and, you know, of all teams out there that could go independent, uh, Oregon's got to be one of them. You know, you got the Phil Knight connection. Yeah, I mean, you got Phil Knight. You got every Nike, every Jordan school out there. Uh, got to feel like you can have some kind of sway with getting the schedule put together. Uh, got to think that, uh, you know, maybe we say if you play Oregon, we're going to give you a special uniform this week. Um, and maybe that program think that's good enough to get some recruits on a visit that week or something like that. So um, Oregon going independent would be very sneaky. Uh, however, I do think that the conference that's been tied closely to them and Washington has been the Big Ten. Uh, however, as of right now, the Big Ten and the SEC are sitting at 16 teams. So if either one of them were to add two and go to 18, we're seeing a mega conference, nearly a you know, mega division almost with the NFL has uh, where you'll have 18 teams, which we've never seen before. Uh, I think that was one thing I remember Sankey saying at media days where you know, we hadn't seen a conference do 16 teams and work. How do we even know? How do we know if 18 teams will work in a conference? So uh, I think that's one thing that maybe those conferences will be hesitant on. Uh, maybe they will want to see how the 16 teams work before they go out and try to add some of these power schools like Washington, uh, Oregon, uh, other rumors out there of Clemson, Florida State. Of course, I feel like if you're going ACC, you got to think of UNC and Duke. And um got to think of those teams will probably be the schools that come next. Oh, no, for sure. Um It makes me – you were just talking about that. It made me think, would the Big Ten be open to kicking teams out to let bigger teams come in? I don't know if that's even possible, if they have certain deals signed with them or not, but – if I'm the Big Ten, you got a pretty weak conference. Let's be real. You've got Ohio State, Michigan, nobody else. So it would benefit you to pick up Oregon and Washington if that's possible. Just Not that it's in talks. I don't want to say that it's in talks. I'm just saying the Big Ten's the weakest conference in football, and I will stand by that. <laughs> but I'll give Big Ten a little bit of credit. Um, yeah, I do think their schedule is a little bit overrated. Uh, you know, but they can say the same thing when we take a look at Vanderbilt. Uh, Georgia's schedule this year. Kentucky sometimes, you know, you take a look at Georgia's schedule this year. You know, part of that's not their fault with having to take Oklahoma off, but you can make a case for both sides. But uh, I think the Big Ten, kind of like the SEC, there's the thing of if you're in, you know, we're not going to get you out, especially if you're like a founding member. Okay. Uh, which the non-founding members of the Big Ten that have joined would be like your Rutgers, <clears throat> Maryland, uh, Nebraska, and uh, I know there has to be another. But they I got Penn State too. Yeah, so. Yeah, they got big brands, Penn State, uh, Wisconsin, big brand, whether we want to admit it or not. Uh, Nebraska, huge brand. Do you want to hit on the, um, the Apple deal? Talk about that a little bit or? Yeah, so the Apple deal, uh, talking about Pac-12, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, today we saw reports the Pac-12 commissioner came out mentioning a media rights deal where your teams aren't playing on TV. 
uh, your teams would be streaming. Uh, they'd be streaming on Apple. You know, got to be the uh, biggest brand out there. But I'm just not sure I see a future in that. Uh, you know, you can interview people and two out of three have an Apple iPhone, but how many of those people have Apple TV or Apple TV subscription? Um, you know, for me, myself, uh, as a soccer fan, I do have an uh, Apple subscription for the MLS package, and I know there were probably millions uh, worldwide, really, for uh, when the Messi arrival was announced. But, um, Brock, could you tell me if uh, is Messi coming to the Pac-12 this year? No, he's not. The no. closest thing I have is, <laughs> is Caleb Williams, yeah. as we talked about earlier at USC, and he's going to be gone next year when this even comes into play. So, yeah. so uh, unless they got you know the the next Caleb Williams or uh, the next Michael Penix or Bo Nix coming through the door, no, uh, we got some kind of Heisman contender, uh, which unfortunately I don't <clears throat> see right now. Uh, this could be bad. This this could be pretty bad for the Pac-12. So yeah, Brock, I, I know we were taking a look at the numbers earlier from what they were reporting. Do you feel like it makes sense to stay in the Pac-12 with what they were offering uh, from Apple or uh, taking a look at what the Big Ten's got guaranteed. Uh, what's, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, looking at these numbers, I don't think it's smart to do the, the Apple Pac-12. You're guaranteed, what, $15 million plus incentives? Mm-hmm. But with the Big 12, you're looking at $31.7 million guaranteed. How's the incentives work? Do you know? Subscriber goals Okay, uh, is what it would come down to uh, from, what I, from what I was reading. So, uh, if they can track the data where uh, such and such thousand or such and such million um, Apple subscribers came because of the Pac-12 network, then Pac-12 gets X amount of millions added on per school uh, so for, it's not, for those subscriptions. It's not really broken down by... Okay, so it won't break down individually and this team gets this amount, this team gets this amount. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's still uniform numbers okay. across the board. Well, still, looking at the numbers, I, I mean, the numbers speak clear as day. You don't have to be a mathematician. $31.7 million is greater than $15 million, and you're not even... How much incentives are we talking? Have they even... I, I they, feel like it might be something that could, you know, get close to that $30 million, but, of course, that they don't have anything just you know, official out there for us to look at. Uh, just a little bit of speculation there. And then you mentioned earlier off the podcast that you you were curious, like Apple's not releasing mm-hmm. if they're making money, like off this. So like, how would you know if yeah, you're getting... Yeah, so talking about the MLS pass, yeah, Apple is keeping those numbers close to their chest. And uh, the people that do know the numbers have a non-disclosure agreement out there where they're not allowed to talk to the media or talk to any reporters about how that's actually going. So, you know, if you were if you were me or if you were somebody whose you know job depended on making money for a school, and the potential people you're going to do dealings with is not sharing data about people who are, you know, adding the subscription package, uh, that's going to make me feel a little bit scary. I want to be a little bit you know, sketched out about what's going on there. Uh, I'm not sure if. Um, that's going to be something that can actually last and provide value for those schools or uh, if that's something that's going to deter. Um, the one thing I, I guess I could say and as a devil's advocate for all of this is if for the Pac-12 it's not about money, it is about passion, it is about you know what makes geographical sense for not only your football team traveling but for those track teams that go from school to school or those tennis teams that's going from school to school and tournaments and all does it really make sense for them to be uh taking a bus or flying a plane from eugene oregon to lubbock texas probably not um probably makes more sense to stay within your conference that you got right now but the recruiting disadvantage that you have uh when you start out with a 15 million dollar athletic budget plus incentives as opposed to 31.7 million guaranteed, I don't know if they're going to be willing to take that risk. No, I agree. Like, why would you, why would you turn down 31, take 15, and not know exactly what you're getting incentives? Like, you can't. Mm-hmm. I'm a guy that 
I'd rather work on salary than hourly any day of the week just because I know how to budget. I know what I have to budget with. I know I'm not going to have to make this, sell this. And so it's just, it just makes more sense to take the guaranteed $31.7 million, in my opinion. That's just me, though. I know some people are different. Some people like to, to gamble and maybe hope that Apple, you know, Apple's such a big brand that the incentives will be well worth it. Which, you know, I think if Pac-12 maybe got this deal a couple years ago, uh, they could have thrown a USC, a UCLA on the on that same ticket. Maybe it looks a little bit more attractive, but from what I was reading when this came out, it seemed like there may have been you know, a handful of head nods. I'm not sure what schools those would have been, uh, but it seemed like the majority decision was uh, kind of looking around the room with confusion, disgust, uh, just not sure what the direction of this conference is going to be. Uh, I know nobody wants to be the team that ends the Pac-12, but uh, if you end it as a group as opposed to um, just one school that breaks the camel's back, it, it may that I think that might be the way this turns out. All right, well, let's move on and talk about the uh, upcoming season, the 2023 college football season, um, which be the last time for a lot of things. I'm going to let you hit on all that. What are you expecting? What are the, the highlights, the storylines, the uh, significant moments that you want to savor before we move into the, the new college football world? Yeah, so 2023, um, you can only hope it goes you know, very similar to 2022 in some ways. Um, you know, 2022, I feel like a lot of people said, reminded them of the 2007 year in some ways where, you know, we didn't get as many of those top rank upsets as we'd like, but, you know, we got a Cinderella out of nowhere in TCU. Uh, I think I would have liked a different ending uh, as opposed to a, you know, 70, 60 something point beat down. But, uh, you know, we saw a bunch of new teams come to prominence. I got to see my Vols win double digits uh, for the first time in a long, long time. 2024, there's going to be a lot of new things. We got the expanded playoff, as we've touched on. Um, No longer going to be the four teams, uh, as we've seen for a couple years now that uh, ended the BCS era. Uh, and then, of course, as we're seeing now, uh, and as we've closed on the past couple years, uh, their previous conference changes with additions to the SEC, the Big Ten, uh, now with the Big 12, with Colorado's move. There's going to be a lot of new teams, new rivalries formed out of that. And of course, some old rivalries renewed because of that with Texas and Texas A&M. I'm very excited to see that. And Excited to see Arkansas and Texas bring up their big eight days. Of course, with that, we got the end of some long-term rivalries. Um, Bedlam is the first one that comes to mind. I don't know about you. Do you like? Do you watch Bedlam every year? To be honest, I don't. I know it's terrible. Um, Brock, you're killing me. I know. I know. I'm more of an Iron Bowl, Egg Bowl guy. That's yeah. the two I watch. That's fair. Um, Bedlam is one of those games where you can always go into it expecting the over to hit. It's one of those games where no matter what, there's either going to be a lot of offense, there's going to be uh, some huge hits, and there's going to be some kind of special teams play that absolutely flips the game on its head, and I absolutely love it every time. Um, so I'm, I can't believe Bedlam's going away. Over 100 years played consecutively, it's going to be sad. Other thing I mentioned, or other thing I thought of that 2024 signal the end of is it's got to be Corso's last year, right? Surely, surely, dude. I mean, I how know. many how many weekends did he miss this year? Like he at least two, right? And, and I want I want to be clear. I'm a big Corso lover. Uh, I think he's the national treasure to the sport. Uh, I know some people hate on the headgear picks, but growing up, that was that was like one of the biggest things to me as a kid. Uh, seeing him come out with the headgear, whether that was the Brutus the Buckeye he loves. I think one of my all-time favorites was uh, when he, uh, it may have been a Bedlam game, when he picked the Oklahoma head and, and he shot something, like scared some uh, scared some animal or something like that they had on stage. 
Uh, of course, anytime we picked Tennessee, really had me fired up for the game that day. So, uh, seeing him going away is going to be really sad. But I do like what game day has done with getting Pat McAfee on there. Uh, I'm, I don't know what your thoughts on that is, but I think he brings the new. He's the new Corso. He, he will be the. New, he will never be up to Corso's level, in my opinion, just because Corso is what I grew up with, as you talked about. But he he brings that same energy. Uh, he's crazy. Um, he's funny. And he just brings a different, different personality to it, which is what Corso did with his head gear picks and all that. So, I'm I'm a fan of Pat McAfee. Uh, we got a lot of things ending. One thing I want to see end Brock uh, that I'm not a hundred percent sure is the end of this current Georgia dynasty. Uh I don't know about you. <clears throat> I'm personally absolute sick of it. I'm sick of people barking. I'm sick of these, you know, deranged fans on Twitter, uh, you know, talking about how Kirby Smart uh, is the next coming. Uh, he's the new king of college football and all. I'm sure you're sick of that more so than I am. But um, I'm sick of them talking about how Tennessee's offensive is a gimmick and, you know, defense is the only way to win championships. Uh, I'm sick of that. So, Brock, I want to ask you, is Georgia unbeatable? I'm glad you brought this up. I think I texted you when we went on our beach trip about the Georgia fans. The amount of Georgia fans coming out of the woodworks now that they're finally winning is, is unreal to me. Um, and the words Georgia and Dynasty don't go together. All right, <laughs> And I'm going I'm to remind people, probably upset people when I say this, but Georgia is 1-7 in, in their last eight games against Alabama. 1-7. And the one they won was the national championship after our receivers were injured. And then they won the championship. That was their first one under Kirby. Then the next year, they're getting beat by Ohio State. Wide receivers go down. And they they creep that game out barely because Ohio State misses a field goal. So the words dynasty and Georgia don't fit. Um, Are they unbeatable with that schedule? Probably Except for Tennessee and South Carolina. Those are the two. Possibly Florida, depending on how Florida does. Um, the only legit contender is Tennessee, and it's in Neyland, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, they are beatable. They definitely are beatable, um, and I'm excited for that game. That's the game I'm marking on my calendar. I'm curious to see what their new quarterback is like. Um, obviously, with that style of team, they lean on defense and they lean on running the ball, and Stetson last year delivered in clutch moments. I will give him that, but if they were to put Alabama in the playoffs like they should have, or Tennessee like they should have, that that would not have happened. Um, so the dynasty is not real. Are they unbe- unbeatable? No, they're definitely beatable, and that will be proven this year. And I, I'm just hoping Alabama can get back on track and I hope our coordinators – I don't want to get in on a rant, but I want our coordinators to do a good job. I'm so glad we got rid of – Bill O'Brien, and I'm so so glad we brought in um, Kevin Steele for defense as well. Um, I feel like he's worked with us before. I know that people will smirk at the pick, but I'm just glad we got our coordinators out, and I'm hoping our quarterback clears itself up. I think it's going to be Ty Simpson. Um, so I want to interrupt you, Brock. Go ahead. Um, eventually, we're going to have a video component of this. I kind of wish we had it already set up by now. Um, if we had the video component right now, you would see me smiling grin, uh, ear to ear because I, I haven't seen Brock this fired up yet. So I am glad I got to touch on his uh, redneck Alabama anger right now. Yes. Um, yeah, to, to go on top of that, I, I love what you said about Georgia and Dynasty doesn't go together. Uh, I do hate, I absolutely hate that. Uh, we can't yell 1980 at them anymore. Going 40 years without a championship was uh, really fun to poke at them. But, you know, I know Tennessee's not too far behind that now. Um, yeah, Georgia, they got they got a schedule that can make them look unbeatable. Uh, but it's going to be a thing of can, you know, this new offense coordinator pick up where the last one did. Uh, they bring back Mike Bobo. You might remember him, I believe, in the Muschamp days uh, where yeah, he was kind of lackluster. Uh, however, if they can just kind of keep the same system they have, 
Uh, it shouldn't be too big of a problem. Georgia is kind of similar, and I don't want you to take offense to this, of the older Alabama uh, where, you know, they are reliant on defense. They are reliant on their uh, lines and the trenches and all where they can win because they do have that five-star talent. Um, one of their players, I don't want to say I love him. Uh, no, I don't want to say I love any Georgia players, but one guy who I really like uh, is Brock Bowers. I think if you take away quarterbacks, I think even if you include most, if not all, quarterbacks, I think he could. Pro- I think he probably is the best player at his position in the country. Oh no, for sure. Um, Brock Bowers is an absolute beast, and I will appreciate his talent, and I do like watching him play. Um, and I do agree with what you said. I, I'm not going to say I love the guy because he's not on my team. But anybody with the name of Brock's obviously a good dude, I'm sure. But no, really, he's a great player, phenomenal player. And yeah, I will I will give him that. Um, Yeah, so the thing is, can Georgia 3P? If you asked this question three years ago before Kirby has won a national title, uh, you could probably go get odds on that at, you know, over plus 10,000. The thought of that's unthinkable. But now that we're here after the two, the odds on that isn't too unrealistic. Um, They've been dominant uh, outside of maybe one game a year, maybe two games a year, max. Uh, They absolutely destroy their opponents. Uh, It's just a matter of can they reload from what they lost. Uh, They... We thought last year, after what we saw them uh, put in the NFL and their defensive talent, that you know it'd be at least a year before they could reload back to what they were. But you know, arguably they had a better defense this year, and they definitely had a better offense this year uh, from what we saw. So, can this four slash five star quarterback they're going to have this year uh, step up where they the walk on, the mailman Stetson Bennett was? Uh, that'll be a big question for them. Uh, can that offense continue the success they had? Uh, I think if their offense can get stalled and their defense is, um, you know, if their defense isn't exactly what they were a year or so ago, they can still probably be a top ten defense. But uh, will a top ten defense and uh, the you know top fifty offense be enough to win a championship this year? And that's something we'll have to find out. Uh, personally, right now, uh, without giving my official predictions, because it's only August 1st, uh, I, I do think I have Georgia in the driver's seat for this year's championship. Uh, but three-peats don't happen. The GOAT, I hate to say that, man. <laughs> okay, uh, the, one of the best coaches of our lifetime, Nick Saban, he's never three-peat uh, in his time at Alabama. He had, what, one opportunity uh, the year that Auburn won the uh, went to the national title, that was his one chance uh, that we've seen of uh, him getting close to a three-peat. You know, before that, you had USC where uh, Vince Young walked into the end zone. That's his name, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, he walked into the end zone and crushed their hearts for a national title. Uh, and Texas was, you know, hooking them and saying that they were back and all. Uh, you know, you had Nebraska in the 90s, but even before that, very few, very inconsistent times in college football history have we ever seen a team have a chance at uh, three-peating. So um, I think Georgia probably has the best chance we've seen since that USC dynasty, but uh, as for right now, uh, I-, I think I'm going to lean towards them fulfilling that. I'm going to... I'm going to give you three reasons why I disagree with you. Okay. Uh, the first being um, Alabama has not gone three years without winning a national championship. There's not been a time span under Nick Saban. I don't. I believe, this may be a bad fact, but I believe we haven't gone three years under Saban without a chip. Um, so that's number one. Number two is because Georgia's got to play Tennessee. And I'm not saying this because you're a Tennessee fan. I'm high on Tennessee. Um and I don't think Georgia I don't think Georgia is as good as people think they are. I really don't. Yes, they've won the past two times, but they've also caught lucky breaks. 
that have allowed them to win injuries. Um, and I'm not going to go back on that. And then three, because Georgia will not win the SEC championship. I'm just going to say that right now. They won't even make the SEC championship. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go there. I won't go there yet. But I don't even think they won't win the SEC championship. That's what I'm just going to say. Bold predictions from Brock tonight. Yeah. Okay. Sorry to get on the ahead of schedule. Okay. Well, uh, I want to take a take a quick look at your first point um, of those three uh, when you said Nick Saban during his time at Alabama has not gone a three-year span without winning a national title. Um, coming into the 2023 season, uh, I, I think most of college football is on the fence of who's the greatest coach in the game right now. Um, there's a clear two. It's either Saban or it's Smart. Uh, you asked this question about five years ago. You're probably saying, is it Dabo or is it Saban? Um, you know, Saban's the underlying factor there, but uh, right now, yeah, there's a lot of momentum in Smart's corner. So, uh, 2023, Brock, is Saban done winning national titles, um, whether that's at Alabama or, you know, if it was crazy enough for him to leave anywhere else, is he done winning national titles in this sport? I hope he's done winning them anywhere else because I don't want him to leave. Uh, I think he's got one or two more in him. Um, I truly think that if receivers didn't get hurt against Georgia, we'd have won that one. I mean, it showed two weeks ago or two weeks prior in the SEC championship. I think last year we got beat on some tough plays down the stretch, some tough calls down the stretch. Um, and I say calls, not refs, play calling. Um, and I hope that wasn't Nick calling those. I hope that was Bill O'Brien. I hope we got rid of that. And if, if that is the case, I think we still are in play. And then, of course, it comes down to our, our quarterback, um, a big chunk was on a quarterback, but you see Alabama win with mediocre quarterbacks, as in um, Coker, McCarron, that that kind of um, play. So I think that he's got at least one or two more in him. I think this year, as a fan, I'm hoping it's this year, so we can keep that stat. Um, I'm not gonna lie, I put a futures parlay on him um, with Duke basketball, but I hope that's not a curse. Anything I bet on usually doesn't hit, so maybe I'll take the the other line. Um, but I think I think he's still got some left in the tank, and he just signed another deal. What last year to, to extend his contract? Mm-hmm. So, but the SEC is getting stronger. Tennessee's on the rise. Um, they established themselves last year as a legit contender. You got LSU coming back to the the standard that they expect. Um, obviously Georgia. Um, then you got Auburn with Hugh Freeze. That's a who knows what that's going to be. And then we're bringing in next year. Um, I went brain dead. Bringing in Oklahoma, Oklahoma Texas. and Texas next year. Sorry, um, we played Texas this season, so I was already thinking they were in there. Um, yeah, so the SEC is definitely getting stronger, which will affect it, of course. And then with the playoff expansion, that may help a little. So I think he's still got one or two more in them. For the sake of Devil's Advocate. Um... I won't, I really want to say he's done, but uh, the one of the dumbest things you can do is bet against Nick Saban. Um, he just that cheeky guy. He just keeps winning, man. He um, he he knows how to get the job done. He he has the secret formula. Uh, I hope when he does retire, he allows that to come out and go up to Knoxville. Allow them to have the secret formula for how to build these dynasties, but uh, he, he knows what he's doing. Um, I, of course, I don't want us to think that, I don't want any listener to think that we think, you know, Saban is uh, done being competitive and that Alabama is going to be headed towards a mediocre, you know, eight-win, six-win seasons or anything. Uh, but I think their window might be getting closed soon, at least with the, with the Saban era. Uh, for winning championships. Uh, and that's not a knock at him. Uh, it's not a knock at the players they got or anything, but uh, the competitiveness, like as you mentioned, around the league and also at the other top schools in the country that contend for titles year in and year out, uh, it's making it harder on him, especially with things like NIL, 
uh, this conference realignment, things like that. But I, that's one thing that I'm looking forward to this season. I'm not going to lie. Doubt, like usually there's not much doubt going around. Mm-hmm. I'm not used to hearing it like the past few years. Like I'm not trying to sound boastful or anything, but like Alabama usually is expected to win almost every game. Um, last year they were even expected. They put out the odds for the four teams if Alabama got in and they were projected to win it all or picked to win it all. Um but this year it's a little different. People are on the Georgia bandwagon and they're on LSU being high on them since they beat us last year in Tennessee as well. I just want to remind people that those top games that you're saying we're losing is in T-Town. It's in Tuscaloosa. Like we got Tennessee at home, LSU at home, Texas at home. Um, it's a little disrespectful to hear analysts and broadcasters say, oh, yeah, they're losing to those teams. Did you not watch the game last year? We didn't fold. Like, down, what, 17 to Tennessee in Neyland or 10 in Neyland? Um, we lost. But, I mean, some play calling down the stretch. I mean, I just – it's disrespectful to think that you're going to lose three games in one season and all three be at home. It's little irrit- it irritates me a little bit. But Definitely. I won't go there yet. We'll, we'll wait till later on in the season. I just – I'll let you correct me, but outside of uh, Ole Miss, has there been a school to beat a- or Alabama back-to-back years? Uh, let's see. We had the Ole Miss, like you mentioned, the helmet catch and all that stuff. That 14, the land 15, shark, yeah, land shark 15, uniforms. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think Auburn's ever beat us back-to-back. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think they have. They beat you, yeah, semi-consistently for yeah. That's for always their a sake, but the game's always one that worries me. I'm not gonna lie. Um, A&M's only done it twice. Yeah, the field goal. I remember that one. Um, so yeah, I mean, I can't. Not a thought in my head. Yeah. I can't think of nobody. So expecting at least two of those teams to do it back to back years, and then one team where they did like played a really close game at home uh, to just translate that on the road uh, the next year. That's probably a little unrealistic. Uh, yeah, I definitely don't expect Alabama to lose three games unless the quarterback play is just atrocious. But uh, I don't think Saban would allow that. No, he's got three quarterbacks. Surely one can get the job done. The only games that really – I'm not going to jump into it, but the the one that really worries me is Texas because it's early and we, we don't know which QB will play. And so if he doesn't like one and then the other has to come in, that's the one that worries me just because of how early it is. Tennessee worries me as well, just because they're still loaded and they have uh, Milrow, right? No, Milton. Milton. I'm thinking of Alabama. Milrow is at Alabama. Hopefully he's not a quarterback. But uh, Milton, who's a gunslinger. Um, yeah, that those two – LSU doesn't really worry me. I think that was a fluke last year. I really do. But, yeah, anyway, I got way off topic. I'm sorry. You're fine. Uh, before this becomes the Alabama preview, I want to move on to the next question I have. Uh, for this upcoming 2023 season. Uh, 2022, we saw uh, Michigan, Ohio State, Georgia, and TCU all make the playoff. Uh, obviously, Michigan, it was their second time in the playoffs. It was back-to-back years. Ohio State's been there, won it. Georgia's been there, won it. And it was TCU's first time out of absolutely nowhere. Uh, so, so looking back to the 2022 season, comparing that to a 2023, uh, I want to take a look at what team or what teams do you think could be like TCU and not necessarily come out of nowhere, but make their first college football playoff appearance. I got a few in, in my head right now, but I want to hear what you have to say. Okay. Um, now, correct me if I'm wrong. USC hasn't made one. Mm-mm. Okay. So that's one on the radar for me. Uh, with Caleb Williams being his last year, I'm mm-hmm. assuming. I think he's a senior. He, he's going to go pro. He's gonna, yeah, yeah, either way. Yeah, he's, he's gone. Um, USC's one to eye. Keep an eye on Tennessee. If they can win their regular season and then at least make the SEC championship, I feel like if they'd match up against Alabama, Alabama was undefeated, or LSU, or whoever comes out of the, the West, I feel like they could still slide in. We've seen that before. Um and then wild card, off the top of my head, I don't know how good um, Utah is going to be this year. I know they were close last year, weren't they? 
and they they lost to USC at the end. Um, I don't know how they're going to be this year. I haven't really kept up with them. They beat USC twice. Okay, who who they lose to in the? Uh, I couldn't tell you. I know they lost Penn State. They did beat USC ball. twice because that's why USC did not get in last year. I okay. Um, Utah, uh, maybe depending on how they bounce back. I don't know. I haven't taken a look at them, but last year they weren't bad, and so they could slide in there if they win the games they're supposed to win. So those are my three. The last one's a little random. It was off the top of the, the head, but yeah, like you, I have USC on my radar this year. I mean, anytime you got a Heisman winner on your roster, uh, and Lincoln Riley is your coach, uh, you're you're gonna have a shot at making the playoffs. Um, it's crazy looking at the Pac-12. Uh, the teams that are there, and seeing who has made the playoffs and USC not be there. I mean, we've seen Oregon and Washington make it, but USC hadn't been anywhere close until last year. Uh, of course, you can contribute that to uh, Lincoln and Caleb Williams. Uh, the second team I had on my list was a team that is playing Alabama this year, Texas. Uh, the fake UT, or the UT junior you might say um I, I think texas has a lot of expectations as texas always does but uh, the the analytics are there uh and they back texas as a team to beat not only in their conference but uh as a team to beat nationally uh that that texas alabama game is going to be one of the premier games of the season and it's not just because it's week two. It's not just because, you know, that's going to be a week when everybody's playing cupcakes, but that's one Power 5 non-conference matchup. I mean, it's just going to be two really good, gritty football teams going out and battling on the gridiron. Uh, my third team uh, was uh, a team you may not have think of right away, uh, but it's a team if they play their cards right in their conference, they could get their... Uh, in outstanding fashion. That's the Nittany Lions of Penn State. Penn State hadn't really been close to the playoffs, but uh, I believe one year when they had one loss to Ohio State, uh, that Penn State team, or excuse me, this year's Penn State team, um, they have a quarterback, it seems like everybody's talking about Drew Aller, or Drew Aller. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how to say his name, but uh, I, I see him as a, a household name by the end of this year. Um, I'm not sure if he's a guy like Levis who just has the NFL build and that's why people are all about this kid, uh, or if he just, you know, he's one of those guys who just absolutely showed it in spring practice, absolutely showed it as a high school athlete, uh, and he's ready to take the reins. But uh, I, I see Penn State as a team who, Again, if they can take care of business uh, in their two big games of the year against Michigan and Ohio State, there's no way that you can't that you can keep them out of the playoffs. Uh, if they have no losses going, obviously, but even if they have one loss, uh, if they're the team in the Big Ten championship with one loss and they win that game, I th- I think you got to put them in over Ohio State or Michigan. If Ohio State can get in after a 22-point loss at home, I'm sure Penn State could get in with one loss. Um, I'm surprised you didn't put your own Vols in there. You, uh, I mean, I'm sure you're obviously rooting, hopeful for that to happen. I mean, they could beat Georgia, and they could beat Bama at once, and then maybe run into them again. That, that's a route. for. That's why I put them in there. Um I know I hit on it, so you may have had it written down as well. But so I I didn't put Tennessee on my list, um, mainly because I don't want to jinx them. I'm very superstitious about those kind of things. But uh, for Tennessee, you got two paths as well uh, to get to the playoff. One is going undefeated regular season, uh, making the SEC championship. Uh, win or lose, there doesn't really matter. Uh, I think you're headed to the playoff. The other way, I think the only real other way to feel good about making the playoffs would be beating Alabama once again this year, assuming Alabama isn't a three-loss team. 
and, and losing to Georgia in a close game at home and being a one-loss team. I think a one-loss Tennessee team probably make the playoffs, uh, especially looking at you know how the teams broke out last year. There's probably not going to be three or four undefeated teams, and I think a one-loss non-conference champ Tennessee team is better than most conference champion teams. No, I agree. Um, and then last, I want to touch on, uh, you mentioned Texas. I thought Texas was going to have a great season last year after the game they played with Alabama, and you saw the inconsistency. Uh, of course, they went through injuries too with quarterback. Um, so they definitely, if they can if they can stay consistent and play a game like they did last year, they could beat Alabama and they could, but it's not just about beating Alabama. Like people don't, they have to have a good season. Like it don't matter if you beat Alabama and lose to Texas Tech and the Baylor and TCU. Like you, if consistency is their key, they can make it for sure. Um, even with a one loss to Alabama and win their championship, that's another route for them. If they do lose. Yeah. A big thing for Texas is honestly just going to be, making and winning the conference championship game. It's been a long time since the Longhorns have been there. Uh, been a long time since they won there. And, you know, accomplishing that should be the immediate goal, um, obviously with the playoffs in the back of their mind. But, uh, you know, you can't just get up for one game of the year and win or lose there. The season's over. Uh, it's something that you're going to have to keep pounding and, uh, keep grinding and you know continue throughout the season because that Alabama game, like we said, only week two, uh, so you can't give up there. Yeah, I feel like that's what happened last last season because um, they definitely had a good team. All right, is our rapid fire two minute drill. Uh, Brock and I we have decided to come up with first year head coaches uh, and schools we are intrigued by this fall. Uh, I, I don't know about you, Brock. I got a list of uh, a handful of names. I know you got a list of uh, names, so I'll let you go first with one. Uh, or actually, how about you do your three? Uh, I'll do my three, but uh, do one at a time, and we will just kind of feed off each other. Okay. Um, obviously, I'm going to start with the most obvious, Deion Sanders. Um, prime time. Yeah, prime time. Taking over at Colorado. Um I'm excited to see what he does for this program. I'm excited to see if they can actually go even this this year or if they'll even have a winning season. So um, thoughts on that? Do you... uh, one thing we mentioned earlier about, you know, Dion and uh, what what we thought he might be able to do recruiting was if you have any doubt of what he might be able to accomplish recruiting, um, maybe look at previous recruiting classes and realize that, he convinced the number one player in the nation to go play at Jackson State, uh, a FCS school, uh, HBCU, something that's never happened before, and props to him for doing that. Uh, you know, there are rumors about you know him getting paid million-dollar NIL, all that stuff. I don't really care uh, whether you're getting paid or not. Getting a kid to do that, uh, outstanding. Uh, I'm excited to see what him and uh, his son uh, – what he can do at quarterback this year in the fall for Colorado. Who's the first one on your list? Uh, so for me, the the big <clears throat> fish out there uh, that I'm interested in is Luke Fickle. Uh, so Luke Fickle, of course, coming over from Cincinnati. Uh, we got a, a coach who has had his up and downs at the beginning of his career, but uh, in the most previous window, We've seen him take the Cincinnati school to the college football playoff. Uh, something that UCF would not able to do as a power, or a group of five team. Uh, he got Cincinnati there. He beat Notre Dame along the way. Uh, and I think the, the style he's going to bring to Wisconsin and the Badgers uh, is going to be a new exciting style. Uh, Wisconsin, of course, they're a team you know, from our childhood who's a dominant run team. You know, I can't remember how many years they had a running back in the discussion for the Heisman. <clears throat> That's not going to be something we see anymore with Wisconsin football. So Wisconsin has the quarterback coming in a transfer out of SMU. Coming off a really good season, uh, over 3,500 yards, 33 touchdowns, uh, 10 interceptions, but as a school like that, you can kind of expect 
uh, those kind of things, um, you know, with the weapons he may have had there. But, yeah, Tanner Mordecai coming into Wisconsin, kind of a big deal. Uh, we know with him doing that, you, you're going to expect to see them throw the ball a lot, and I think that might throw off a couple teams in the uh, Big Ten West, and they might be a sneaky pick out there to win that division of the conference. Please bring some more uh, competition to the Big Ten. I, I wouldn't mind to see it. Um, Any prediction? Does he go? Not prediction, but do you think he goes winning record, even below winning record? Without looking at their schedule, I, I definitely think he's going to take them to a bowl game this year. Uh, I would expect a winning record, especially, you know, if if I think they're contending, contending for the West, i I, I got to think that they're going to have a winning record and, uh, potentially beat some of those other favorites for that division. Okay. Okay. Um, the next one on my list, I actually only picked two, but the next one on my list is one that's I'm going to have to keep a close eye on because obviously this is our arch nemesis at Alabama. It's Auburn. Uh, picking up Hugh Freeze from Liberty. Um, as you mentioned earlier, they beat Arkansas last year. I think they went 8-4 and four in, in the regular season, 8-5 and five after they lost the bowl game. Um, Hugh Freeze is a heck of a coach in my opinion. Um, I know there's some controversy after his firing with all that. I'm not going to get into all that stuff. Um, but heck of a coach worries me at Auburn because Auburn's one of those teams that he can recruit to. It's not like he's going to have trouble recruiting. He's recruiting to Auburn. Um, SEC school playing Alabama every year. Biggest game in Alabama is the Iron Bowl. Um, so I think he goes eight and four first year without looking at schedule. That's just rough. Uh, and I think they do give Alabama a heck of a game because I believe it's in Auburn, and he'll be pulling everything out of the playbook. Um, I like Hugh Freeze as a coach. Um, so yeah, I think he's a. I think he's probably if we're going to pick the best outstanding first year coach, I think he's definitely probably going to be top three. Um, I don't know how Dion does. Of first-year head coaches? Yeah, like out of first-year coaches, I think he'll probably be the most successful. Like top three is most successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's saying a lot because he's in a tough conference. So that's that's one of the big ones I'm keeping an eye on. In a tough conference and in a tough spot. Uh, I don't know if you remember last year, but I don't think there were many coaches who were willing to touch that Auburn job with a 10-foot pole. No. Uh, they were in a very bad spot. Uh, looks like, you know, that they might be going through a, a decade of dysfunction like Tennessee had recently. But um, the you, you say you like him as a, a head coach. I kind of find that just a little funny uh, as, you know, we were mentioning earlier about the Ole, Ole Miss, Miss teams yep. that beat you back-to-back, him being the head coach there. Um, but that should, that should yeah. say something. Like, oh, yeah. Like, yeah. he heck of a coach beat us back-to-back. Um or was he on both teams? Mm-hmm. Okay, I believe so. Yeah. Um, and just like you were mentioning, I didn't mean to cut you off, but the state of Auburn football, after, like before he was hired, and now it's like a totally 180 just from the name that he brings and the hope. And I think that that was the perfect hire for them. Um, yeah. I, I couldn't find or I couldn't imagine a, a more, you know, morally loose head coach and school perfect match than Auburn and Hugh Freeze. Uh, the only one that comes to mind would be um, Ole Miss and Hugh Freeze so, um, uh, when we're talking about that. So, uh, you know, uh, I, I, th- I think they are going to be a match made in heaven at the end of the day, but, you know, that might turn, turn its head the other way um, when it's all said and done. Uh, on his tenure at Auburn, um, but yeah, Hugh Freeze really good, good pick. One one coach I'm definitely intrigued by. Uh, you may not appreciate me bringing this up, but uh, especially what he's done in recruiting this past week, I did not expect that at all out of Auburn. Despite what Hugh Freeze track record was, uh, I, I didn't expect that this early getting those kind of players uh, as he's flipped. Uh, five-star receiver from Alabama, uh, five-star linebacker from Georgia, and look like he's potentially in the driver's street driver's seat. Looks like he's potentially in the driver's seat for this five-star safety 
uh, KJ Bolden, I believe. Um, looking at my second head coach, um, and after this, I, w- I do have a couple of honorable mentions I want to take a look at. Uh, you know, you you split it up. You went Pac-12, I guess, slash Big 12 uh, with Colorado and, and SEC. I'm going to do double up on the Big 10. Uh, not that I'm just a huge Big 10 guy, but um, Luke Fickle and Matt Rule, to me, were two of the biggest hires in college football this year. Matt Rule, he's a guy who, if you look at his track record, he's a guy who builds programs. Uh, you know, his first season at school, they're not always winning a bunch of games. Yeah, you know, I, I want to say at, at Temple and at Baylor, they were even, you know, sub 500. But in his second year, you saw progress. And his third year, you were like, where did this team come from? Uh, because that Baylor team he had, he had them contending, if I'm remembering correctly, for uh, a Big 12 Conference Championship. Uh, I know they came up a little bit short, but uh, he had them right there on the precipice of it. That Temple team, I don't know if you remember them. Uh, I think it was our junior or senior year of high school. But he had that Temple team rocking. Uh, he had them uh, ranked out of nowhere. Uh, and that doesn't happen in Temple football. That happens in basketball you know, in the 80s, but not not football by any means. So I think Matt Rule is a guy who, uh, he's coming out of the NFL, didn't have a great stint there, but, you know, who else didn't have a great stint in the NFL? Your boy Nick. Uh, so I pencil me down for Matt Rule uh, as a coach to watch in year one, uh, especially over the next few seasons as he takes a program that many believe are uh, dead, and will never return to their glory days in Nebraska. Uh, you know, people thought if um, Frost couldn't do it, nobody could. Matt Rule might be the guy to do it. Matt Rule might be the guy to resurrect Nebraska. So I want to have him as my second coach to watch. I like that. I like that. I I did not even have him on my radar, but I'm glad you brought that up because um, he is a heck of a coach. Um, honorable mentions, who do you have? Uh, honorable mention of a couple other guys I had on my list. One guy I hit on earlier, Kenny Dillingham out of Arizona State. Uh, I think he is – he. Uh, once we see what his recruiting looks like, uh, that's when I'll have a better idea for him. But as an offensive coordinator, great track record, uh, great offenses, quarterbacks just exploding off the charts under Kenny. Uh, aside from him, looking back towards the SEC, uh, you kind of you got to take a look at Zach Arnett and Mississippi State. Uh, Mississippi State feels like the under-radar team who everybody's predicting last in the SEC West, but when's the last time they actually finished last in the SEC West? They are always a consistent team. Uh, who's making a bowl game, uh, whether they're six and six or got eight, nine, ten wins? Uh, they're they're a team to not necessarily watch out for for the West. I don't believe they're going to be contending, but I don't think they're going to be a pushover game either. No, they gave Alabama a run for their money several years um, in a row, I believe, back when I was the our senior year of college, and then when I moved there, I believe, um, and lived in. Houston for a little bit. That cowbell, that cowbell gets rocking. It, it gets wild, dude. Um, I went to a few games when I lived there, um, baseball games. But even the cowbell at the baseball games is insane, and I can't imagine a football stadium like that. So um, I agree with you there. Definitely keep an eye on them. I don't think they'll finish last by no means. Well, that is all we got for today, uh, Brock. Appreciate you letting me over. Glad we got this first episode out of the way. I look forward to many more this year with you. Um, Listeners, we expect to go to a two-episode-a-week format uh, here soon. Expect to have our YouTube channel up soon. Uh, Look forward to uh, you listening, telling your friends to listen, any kind of football fanatic out there. We hope we can provide uh, a fun football show for you to listen to as we 
uh, look at the big games of the upcoming week and uh, recap the scores of the previous weekend. And we like to be very interactive with our listeners. Um, if you have questions, we're going to have a Twitter account open up where you can send us questions on any platform, Twitter, uh, TikTok. I know we're going to open several ones. We're going to do some raffles. Um, and we talked about if you post and subscribe and all that stuff. Once we get that up, obviously we'll, we'll talk more about it. But definitely lots to come for uh, Southern Fried Football. And I'm excited for it, dude. I'm, I'm glad you came to me about starting this. And... I'm just ready for the season to start. What, twenty-four days to week zero? So yes, sir. Counting, counting it down. Football is back. 